Let's pray. Father, we love singing that song. Just lifts you high to the place you deserve to be. That you are holy and that you are worthy. That you are the lamb that was slain. And God, we've come here to sing songs to you. To gather amongst your people and to hear from you. And today, Father, there is this desire that we have to truly be changed by you. And so, God, as we gather in this place, Lord, we pray that we could have a level of expectation that when we come to this place, that we would not just want to hear wisdom from a man, that we wouldn't want to just be persuaded by the eloquence of men, that we wouldn't just want to hear good singing from people, but that when we sing, And then when we listen, we are expecting the Holy Spirit to move on us, to speak to us, to change us. Why do we need to add to the the mountain of men's words that we've heard all week? What do we need another here, another person? Right now, Lord, the news is really bad. Around our world, there's such bad news. In other countries right now, Lord, hundreds of people slain who merely walked into a theater expecting a concert or a movie slain. The same night, there are people wondering who will lead our nation. And all of us are trying to find a solution in men. But we've come here knowing something different. That there is not a new man or woman that can change the landscape of this world. But there is a God. He is the only one that keeps this world from true chaos. And he is the organizer. And there is nothing going beyond his boundaries. And so he is in control. And being that he is not scratching his head, and being that he is the one who is sovereignly Lord, we need to hear from him, the true king. And so, God, we submit our lives to you right now, waiting to hear from you. Take us to a new level of trust in you, God. Take us to a new level of trust in you today, God. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, welcome here. Um, my name is Pastor James. I was not here last week. I was in uh, Decatur, Alabama, and uh, it's a blessing to be here again today with you all. Um, I do want to make mention of one announcement that we didn't uh, get a chance to discuss. We haven't talked about it a lot, but we actually are looking for a children's director uh, as a church. Um, uh, right now, we have a, a children's church that meets upstairs, as some of you all know, and we are actually looking for someone. It's a paid position. Um, we're praying that we get somebody to fulfill that. So uh, if you're interested, uh, you can see me or, uh, or people in leadership, or you can email info at bridgechurchnyc.com. All right? We need somebody, uh, hopefully in that position, uh, before the end of this month, definitely before January, we'd like to fill that position. We've been in this series, thank you so much. We've been in this series, um, text message. And really, we've been talking about how can we have a personal understanding of God's word. We realize that 
Um, there was something about answering machines back in the day that you could ignore. There's also something about the phone that you can ignore. But for some reason, a text message is hard to ignore. In fact, it captures your imagination and you feel like you have to look at it. Even if you're in a meeting with someone else, you're at least interested in what's on there. Why is it text messages are so interesting to us? What we've said is that it really comes down to the fact that it's personal. We believe that there is someone that's personally giving me a message and they know me and I know them. And so in light of that, we want to read it and we want to know it. And so what we're saying is the Bible is God's text message to us, a personal message to us so that we might know him more. And this is exactly what David said in our first message. We talked about David. David said in Psalm 119, 105, that your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. And so what he's saying is my world gets really dark. And the only way that I can figure out where I am in my journey and where to go next is by the word of God. It gives me the ability to see what's next. And so he's saying that the Bible isn't just something I read to increase my insights about God. I believe the God, of, the writer of it, speaks to me and he speaks into my life. And we're saying that we want you to have that kind of experience, that kind of encounter. One of the things that we've said, too, is that um, there's quite there's a very good chance that you may have some doubts about the word, in particular doubts uh, that we said, like, if you have had any suffering when you're going through trials, there's a good chance that you begin to believe that the word of God is not effective anymore. And so that's why last week Rasul talked about uh, suffering is in the syllabus. And so we wanted you to see the, the, the story of Joseph and how that all comes back together and that this was really in the plan of God. And then we also said some of those doubts can actually deal with uh, skeptics, skepticism, that there's a very good chance you walked into a class when you were in college and someone said, man, do you believe in talking snakes? Honestly, do you believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? Really? I mean, Jesus is going to come back on a horse? Come on, seriously? Somebody was in a fish? Do you really believe in these miraculous things? And what we said was not only are there miracles in the Bible, but the Bible is a miraculous book. It's not an ordinary book. That when you look at the Bible, it really isn't just a book. It's really more like a library that was written over 1,500 years by 60, it's 66 different books, 44 different authors, 13 different countries the Bible was written on, three different continents, and in three different languages the Bible was written in. And what's amazing is that there is one overarching theme, one theme throughout the entire Bible, and that theme is what I want to talk to you about today. That theme, if you let it get hold of you, and if you believe it, it will radically change the way that you interact with God and interact with his word on a daily basis. When I open up my Bible, I don't want to just gain more information. I want it to be alive. I want someone to speak to me. And hopefully you want that, that you want there to be life in the word. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. In the beginning, God positions himself as creator. And he creates man and woman. And in creating them, they rebel against his order, his command. And they actually hide from him. They're in a garden and they hide from God. And God actually tells the story of himself walking around a garden saying, where are you? Not because he didn't know where they were at physically, 
but he wanted to identify the fact, I want to be with you. I don't want you to be afraid of me. In the prophets, there's a story of a man who actually has a wife who not only commits adultery on him, but actually prostitutes herself. And the man loves her so much that he pays money just to get time with her. Like he was one of her Johns, like one of her suitors. And he buys time with her. And God is picturing himself as that man. And he pictures his people as that prostitute. And then in the Gospels, God pictures himself as a father who has a son who he's given some money to. And yet the, the son goes out and takes all of the father's money that he could possibly have as inheritance. And he runs off. And it says he had loose living. He lived how he wanted. And what's crazy is that it shows the father towards the end of the message, waiting on the road, waiting for his son, desperately wanting him to come back home. And in Revelation, it shows God as like a friend, saying, I, I, I'm knocking on a door, and your life is like a house. And, and I'm knocking, and I'd like for you to open up that door so I can actually not just come inside, but I'd like to have a conversation with you, a meal with you. I'd like to just hang with you and talk with you. And so the overarching theme in the Bible is that God is constantly inviting people into relationship. And those people either reject him or they replace him. And what's crazy is that just like you and I already know, you can't force people into a deeper relationship. You can only invite them to go deeper, but you can't force them. And so in the same way, God is constantly inviting people into an intimate relationship with him. And so there are some who reject and some who replace, but then there are some who respond to that invitation. And you hear about someone like Moses. It says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one talks to a friend. Could you imagine that? That you talk intimately with the creator God like a friend. And you have that kind of intimacy. And, and we could go on and on. There's stories of a woman named Hannah who would pour out her soul before the Lord. All the greats in the Bible. The people that had this deep trust in God were intimate with him. And they accepted that invitation to intimacy. And the good news is that this invitation to be intimate is not predicated on how much I've sinned or how long I've been a Christian. Meaning no matter how much you've sinned, I'm talking about last night, no matter how much you've sinned, and no matter if you became a Christian yesterday, that invitation is still open that you don't have to be Moses or Abraham or any of these people, that you can be where you are today and that invitation is open. And it's open for you. And what would it look like if daily you were experiencing that invitation? What would your life look like if the Bible were to come alive to you? And hopefully that's the question that you're asking. How can my time with the Bible come alive? I mean, because that's what happens. You start reading, you say you're going to do a year-long plan, and you start reading, and it gets a little bored, and you start going through Leviticus, and you're like, oh, man, this is boring. And you start reading. And my prayer is that I could move you from just book reading to having an encounter with the living God. 
And I think that there are several things, one really hard thing, but several things that are, that are kind of practical, but one thing that I want to talk about and spend most of our time on. The first thing is just time. You can't have a deep relationship with anybody without getting time with them. Unstructured, unhurried, if that's a word, time. Time that you set aside with that individual. An appointment that you make with that person. Because you think that person is special and you want to carve out a window so that you and that individual can connect and go deep. The other thing is transparency. If you want intimacy with anybody, you have to be transparent with them. And I'm, I'm not saying just be polite. You know, some of us, we have to move from being polite with God. You know, you're just honoring you're just God. You are the Holy One. I mean, you got to get R-rated with the Lord. Where you start being honest about some of the anger and the jealousy that you feel in your heart. That's some of the lusts that you just so desperately are fighting with. That's some of the, some of the things that you are, you are seeing other people have and you wish you had. Those things that you are wrestling with in your heart. That you would be open and transparent with the Lord. You ever had somebody sit down and say, listen, I'd like to have a heart to heart with you. <laughs> Whenever that person does that, you're like, oh, we're about to talk. We're about to get real. Can you imagine daily you having a heart-to-heart -heart with God? Can I just talk to you for a second? Can I just, I just need to be real with somebody right now. I need an honest conversation with you about where I am. Because the same God of Genesis saying, where are you, is still saying that to you today. Where are you? I want to be with you. But interestingly enough, as I've taught on this before, I've spent a lot of time talking about time, like, you know, be disciplined and all this. And I've spent a lot of time talking about transparency. But I think people get that. I think we get the time thing. I mean, it's hard to do it, but I think we get that. And I think we understand transparency. It's like, oh, I've seen that hey, David talk like that in the Bible. I, I see that. I get that. But I think the real issue isn't just time. And it's not just being transparent. To me, where the rubber meets the road with intimacy with the Lord is total surrender. Total surrender. It's not just saying I want to get time with you, and it's not just saying I'm going to be honest with you. It's saying you can do with me whatever you want. I'm going to take this moment of my life and lay down my life before you. I completely surrender to your will and your way, and I'm just going to set aside some time to hear what you have to say to me, and I'm going to do it. I'm totally surrendering myself to you. Here I am. And there's a part of us that that's scary. You know, there's some, there's some tension with that, to completely give yourself to someone in that way. But the good news is that God has already made the first move. That when Jesus came and God sent his son, he completely gave himself for us and totally surrendered himself and laid down his life for us and for our sin because the greatest picture isn't just the story in Genesis nor is it Revelation. The greatest picture of intimacy is Jesus, 
He was called Emmanuel, God with us. And so that tells us God wanted to be with us. He wanted to be close to us. And the cross is this invitation into relationship. And so that's with anybody, any kind of relationship. It's good when someone makes the first move. When someone says, I want to be with you. And now that opens the door for you to be with them and they model it for you. And so Jesus models the kind of relationship. He's like, I'm going to lay my life down for you. And in the same way, real intimacy with God truly begins when we are transparent. We spend that time, but we say, I am going to surrender my will and way to you. And I will be and do whatever you want. That is the crux of where we're at today. That is your greatest challenge. That is what makes time with God hard. It is giving yourself to him on a daily basis because you wake up wanting to do what you want to do and be who you want to be. And I don't know about you, but I don't like being told what to do. I like being my own Lord and master. And even though I've called Jesus Lord, I creep in and become my own Lord again. I like my commands more than his. See, so that's my wrestle. And I'm just assuming today that's your fight too. And so you can forsake intimacy for intellect. And you can start getting into this Bible time. And you can start going through the motions. But there's something that, can, that, 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 that starts getting dead in your relationship with God. And the Bible's not alive anymore. And so I want you to set aside time. I want you to set aside, I want you to be transparent. But a daily attitude of surrender is the greatest fight you can have. I could be talking to a room full of pastors and they'd be like, hmm, that's true, that's tough. It's not about where you're at spiritually. It's a fight for everyone. But I want you to fight that daily. And I want you to experience private worship. Not just the worship here, but just a private time before the Lord. And there is a great text that shows us a little bit more about this. Hebrews chapter 4. If you would go there. Hebrews chapter 4. The book of Hebrews uh, really sets in motion this idea of persevering in the faith. Um, persevering rather than turning from Christ. And the community there was dealing with persecution. And they had this temptation to turn away. And the author of Hebrews is trying to get them to fix their eyes on Jesus and focus on Jesus. And he keeps talking about how he's greater. And then there's this point in chapter 4 when he starts talking about the word of God. And he says in Hebrews 4 and 12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing, to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. <laughs> and so you see there, he says, the word of God is alive and active. And so the, the beauty of that is that God's word meets us where we are. Because it's giving this imagery of having life. And so the word wrestles with me and it corrects me. But at the same time, it will comfort me and smile with me and frown with me and warm my heart. But it will be directly where I am. 
And it's not just that we need some new ideas, but there is a word that you are depending on right now. <laughs> you see, there is something fixed with words that you are depending on right now. And it may not be the word of God, but it's someone's words. The words of a musician, more likely than not, may be fixated in your mind or a teacher or even a pastor. But those words at some point will not be as effective. Five years ago, there were things that you used to think, but you don't think that no more, hopefully. And, and part of that is where you were then, what that person said or what people said made sense. But it doesn't meet you where you are now because it's not alive. And it doesn't have that ability. And that's what he's saying. The word of God is alive and it has capability of meeting you wherever you are. And so in Isaiah, it reads like this, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So that God's word is always effective and always has life. And so you come with that expectation that God's word has life and is effective. And he goes on to say that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And you know, the imagery that he's giving there is simple as this. If you have a sword that has two edges that are sharp, there's pretty much no way that it's not going to cut something. That at any point that you would jab it or put it somewhere, somewhere in the circumference of that knife, something's going to get cut. And so in the same way, the idea is that the Bible, it, you cannot stop it from having influence over you. That anywhere you place yourself around it, it has the capability of cutting you in a good way where it's cutting out some of the old thoughts you had and placing in new thoughts that you need to have. But it's saying, listen, th this is what it's getting at at the end of the day. There is no way with the right attitude in the heart, right heart, that you cannot let the Bible influence you. It's saying it's double-edged and has this ability to influence on every side. But then it gets down, this text gets down to a different place. And it says it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. And so here lies what the word of God at heartbeat does every day. It judges the way you think. He says it judges it or it discerns your thoughts. And it actually helps you to understand when you have vain thoughts or when you have uh, thoughts that are selfish or thoughts that are Christ-like, it actually judges your thoughts and gives you an understanding if your thought life is acceptable. And the Word of God is a discerner of who you are. And that is where you can have the freedom of knowing and it sounds, it sounds awkward, but you can have the freedom of knowing that you can't hide. You know, at the next part of this verse, which we didn't put up there, is that it's saying that you cannot hide from its sight. I was in um, Decatur, Alabama this past week, and um, they were asking me, what is, what is the biggest difference between the South and the North place you live in the South? And I said, to be honest, man, hunting. I've, I've never been in a hunting culture. Like, I don't know what it's like to actually kill a duck. 
or, you know, to find joy in shooting deer. And so, you know, the people that I was around, you know, went into detail about how you, you know, kill ducks and deer. And so because I'm a nice guy, I, I listened. And, um, and it was interesting, you know, just setting up the traps and, you know, this is how you do it. And this is that. It was very interesting, you know, how do you catch these people? And I just thought about it, man. You know, it's so crazy. They're trying to find these animals. And, you know, one of the craziest things and the hardest thing is it's, you can catch animals but it's hard to catch men. I mean, you can hide. <laughs> People have this incredible ability to play the game. They can, it's, so, it's so hard to catch the real person. I mean, what I'm saying is, I can fake you out. I could get up here, and I could honestly front for all of you for weeks and years, and I could play a game, and I could play what's called the faith game, where I'm really deep and I say a lot of cool and deep things. You know what I'm talking about, <laughs> the faith game. You know, you, 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 after a while, you learn the right things to say so that people get off your case and you play that game. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And I've learned it. And, it, and what it does is it creates this illusion that I'm somewhere or I'm doing some things that I'm really not doing. And it's hard to catch me. It's hard to get the real me. And what it says here is that the word of God, there is no chance to get away from it. It will discern who you are and judge your thoughts and, and that's the imagery it gets. Some people spend so much time talking about soul and spirit. That's, that's not the real point of the text. The real point is, is that it gets down to your very agenda, your very motive, and to your heart. And when you come with the attitude of your heart that you want God to do with you whatever you will, he begins to change you and mold you. And that's the beauty of the text is that it has this life. And you're wanting it to change you and use you. And I've come to some conclusions that, quite honestly, we need, and I need a judge. I need that discerner of my thoughts and actions. And the reality is that there have been unkind lips that have found real fault with me. And I've been trying to undo some of those thoughts for years. There have been people who have judged who I am. And some of the things that they have said have deeply embedded their way into my mind and my heart. And there are things that I'm still believing. Even as a young man, I still believe some of those things. And so there are there are ways that I have in my mind, in my heart, that I'm still wrestling with as an adult man now. And the only way that I'm able to deal with those is by coming to the word of God and having him deal with me and speak to me. And in short, there are lies that I believe. Well-articulated lies. And there are lies that you are believing now. Well-articulated that have been deeply embedded in your mind and your heart. 
And some have been running your life and judging you. Um, you ever have somebody uh, rebuke you, you know, tell you about yourself? And you ever said, you don't know me? You ever said that? Or if you didn't say it, you thought it, right? You don't really know me. And what you're, what you're saying to them in short is, you've misinterpreted me. If you really knew me, you'd know that I'm really not that way. And the beauty is that the word of God never misinterprets us. It's always accurate. And it always has this ability to get down to who I really am. And where is the tension? The tension is that this is really hard every day. That every day when you come to the word of God, it's, it's, again, it's not just time and it's not just being transparent. It is coming to the text and saying, God, I have a problem and I need you to change me. I need you to change the way that I think. I need you to change the way that I live. And I will do whatever you say, do. You wake up every day crooked. And the only way, one author said, the only way to be able to tell a crooked branch from a straight one is just to lay a straight branch next to it. And what you need to do every day when you awake is you need that straight word of God straightening you out. Because you are right. This is, what I'm, this is what I'm saying. You are riding, living on things that you were told and still believing them. And you need to get them out of you. You need, to, you need, you need almost like a surgery to get those lies out. And then when you spend life away from the word too long, you are depending on someone's word. And either it's the word of people around you or God forbid it's your word. You, what, I'm, what I'm saying is you have a devotional every day. It's, it's either with God or not with him. You are worshiping someone every day. It's either him or it's someone else. Daily, you know, a lot, the, the music can be daily bread. It's, it's not just about I just need to spend time in the Bible. You need an informed faith. And when you go too long uninformed, you become dangerous. You start doing things and saying things because you are co-signing you. And you become dangerous. <laughs> and what you need is a corrector. What you need is a master. And the same one that rescued you, you need that daily sense of rescuing. And real Bible time really begins with how you see yourself. Are you okay? You okay? You good? Because if you're good, then reading something won't seem intense. Because the Bible, it, it, Jesus says, he talks about himself as this kind of like daily bread and this living water. In other words, he positions himself as sustenance for life. And so when you see there's an element of corruption in you, there's a hunger inside of you that you, you position yourself for him on a daily basis. And we do wake up crooked. And so we, we said how oh, this time, it informs you. 
And the challenge that we have is that we can be disciplined, yes, but all discipline requires a pre-decision. Decide requires a decision that you made before, that you will have an appointment. And that probably the best time to spend in his word is in the morning. And you may need to wake up a little earlier. And I don't know what that's like for you. I mean, is that, I don't, you know, for some people, when they think morning, they think, I just can't do it. But the fact of the matter is the reason why the morning is so pivotal is that you begin your life, you begin your thought life right when you wake up. And you begin to begin to think things. And you begin to operate in a certain way. And that's why the morning is a very helpful time to be in the word of God. And the best way, honestly, to, to, to position yourself is to just make an appointment. <laughs> make an appointment with God because he's important. The nature of making any appointment is that you think it's necessary. <laughs> My sister's boy, I used to make that hair appointment. You know what I'm talking about? And there was this urgency to it because they were going to go somewhere. And wouldn't it be a shame if we put more urgency to making hair appointments than to being with the Lord? And I don't say that because that's like a real guilt kind of thing, like, die. Because the next time you make a hair appointment, you're like, God, I wish I was with you like this. And so that's not, that's not necessarily what I want you to do. I want you to see that there is so much that God is offering himself to you. God is offering himself to you. From Genesis to Revelation, that's what this whole series has been about. God is offering himself to you. And he wants relationship and he wants depth. And so what I, what I encourage you to do is definitely choose a plan, some kind of Bible reading plan. We have a devotional in the back that we would love for you to have. And definitely choose a place and choose a time. And in doing so, you'll be able to set down this appointment that you have every week and every day before the Lord. And the reality is that five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, that's the amount of time is not the issue. There is a person who says, I get with the Lord two hours every day, and they're still crooked. <laughs> the point is, is not the amount of time, it's the attitude of the heart. If you spend two minutes before the, before the living God begging him to speak to you and to change your heart, that's more effective than two hours just perusing the Bible. And so it's an attitude, it's an issue of the heart, and it is that issue of surrender, And there will be seasons that you have so, such great structure that you're with the Lord and you're before him. But then there'll be seasons where you just can barely open up your Bible. But it is more than having structure. It is desiring to be with the Savior. Hungering to be with him. You say, man, I, I, get, I, I get what you're saying. I read my Bible but I don't, so I don't have that experience where well, there's a promise in the word. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me 
when you seek me with all your heart. Isn't that a good promise? That really this is a heart issue. And that maybe you're not having this explosive time because he's seeing, do you want me? Or maybe you just sit down and you open up the Bible and you're just looking for a miracle and you want God to do something amazing. And because he doesn't do it, you don't want him anymore. Or you're just looking up information for a situation you are in life. But what if you come to the text and say, you can have me, all of me, my whole heart, you can have all of me and I will be whatever you want me to be and I will go and do whatever you want me to do. And I'm coming to the table with my whole heart. And he says, if you do that, if you seek me, you will find me when you search for him with your whole heart. And then this really becomes a heart issue of being with the Lord. We are about to sing. You know, as Chris is up here, Chris is belting out tunes and he's having us sing songs about our Lord Jesus. But, you know, sometimes, and I... I say this not, we're not getting rid of the worship team, but sometimes the fact of the matter is I think our worship team does you a disservice because you can come here and be entertained by music and, and forget that worship really isn't about hearing great music. Worship is about coming here every day and responding to the God that saved you and rescued you. And even if, I mean, they sound great, but what if they didn't sound great? Would you still love them? Would you still belt out your heart in, in song and say, God, I, I love you. You are holy. I mean, do, in other words, does the song have to be dope to conjure up your heart? Or have you already had a heart fixed on Jesus? And I say that not, I know this, you know, as a, I'm the pastor and I'm, I'm just ending my sermon, but does the sermon have to rock your world for it to be good? In other words, is the word good? Have you come seeking him and his word? <laughs> we, too many times people go from church to church because they say that they're not being fed. And I'm like, only children can't feed themselves. I mean, maybe, maybe you have to get to a place where you learn how to feed yourself. And what really is going to change the dynamic of our church isn't great preaching. Did I, did I rock you today or no? <laughs> See, what's going to change this is not great preaching. And it's really not great singing. And I know we, we try to make it good. We really try. But it's impossible. It's impossible to rock you every week. What we don't need is a dynamic worship service here in the public. What we need is people out there having a dynamic private worship. Because the text is so good. It's so alive. And when we sing, it's not meant to even be great music. It's actually worship. When I go to a... Uh, 
football game, before the game starts, or any game, we sing the Pledge of Allegiance. And it's so funny, because they remember in school, they told you to put your hand on your heart, and you just start saying the words. And therein lies the capability of singing something that you look like it's affecting your heart, but it really is just words you're saying. And in the same way, we can tell you to lift your hands. We can tell you to put your hand on your heart. But we cannot stir the fire for these words to come alive to you. If there was, if I were to die tomorrow and I were to have one last message, I would try to teach someone to worship God privately. Because I can't guarantee what the seasons of your life are going to be can't guarantee what's going to happen to you tomorrow, but I can guarantee you that the word of God is alive and it will meet you where you are. And if you can cultivate a life of private worship, a life of seeing the Bible as something that is waiting to invite you into deeper relationship, I'm not saying you'll have good times, I'm just saying you'll be sustained. I'm not saying suffering won't come, I'm just saying you'll be rooted and established in the word of God. And what will keep you isn't this church. What will keep you is the word. That's my prayer. In fact, I, I want to, before we worship, I want to pray that for you. And I wonder if you pray that for yourself. And you say, yes, God, I, I accept your daily invitation to be with me. Because as I reject you daily, I'm accepting someone or something else. I, I accept, I accept. And so I'm, I'm going to start spending at least five minutes with you. And even if I don't get to open up the Bible, I'm going to pause. And, and I'm not going to have anything else going on. But I just need to talk to you because I know every day you want to be with me. And there's something inside me that wants to be with you, but I get distracted. And so I need you to help me fight daily. And I just want to pray that, Heavenly Father, I just lift up your people. And God, I, I pray that there would just be this hunger and desire to be with you, God. I pray that there would be this hunger and desire to worship you privately, God. I pray, God, that we would see the Bible not just as this static book, but alive and in our hearts, God. And I pray that no one walk away convicted saying, oh, I need to read the Bible more. I pray that people see the invitation of a living God that from Genesis to Revelation has said, be with me. I want to be with you. I want to be with you. And I just want to know where you are. Would you be with me? Would you accept my invitation? And daily we will say, yes. I accept the invitation of the living God to be with you, God. Be with you, God. Let us accept the invitation to be with you, Heavenly Father. And let us worship you privately, God. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us worship.